we were all gathered around the source. And we knew that the source was ready and able to flow. But we had no way to turn on the flow. It was yesterday, right here at PCF. And we were preparing for many activities at the church, including those who were going to be serving at the fundraiser of the car wash. Now, in order to wash cars, you need water. And in order to get the water from the source, you need a hose. But in order for the hose to flow with water, you need the spigot to turn on. And there we were, gathered around the spigot. But there is no way to turn it on. It was just a, a, a piece of metal jutting up from the apparatus. And it requires a special, uh, a, a special cap, a special handle. Now that handle, when it's placed in there, it will easily turn the water on. But it's like a key. Without that handle, it's locked shut. God is good, and our people are resourceful in Him, and everything was made ready in order to wash cars yesterday. But it got me to thinking, you know that kind of faucet, I'm told by a plumber that it's called a gate faucet, that it's essentially the opening and closing of a gate. And that gate allows the pressure of water, which is already there in the line, to come forward. And I thought of our hearts. The Lord wants and promises to flow his life, his joy, his strength, his Holy Spirit through our hearts. You'll remember last year and the year that the Lord said to us was a year of living water that we looked again and again at John chapter 7. And Jesus said, out of your innermost being, rivers of living water will flow through you. But what if your heart has no handle? What if you can't handle your heart? What if it's closed? What if it's hardened? What if you lack the resource to tap into the overflow of God? Today, I want to remind you that the Lord has the handle for your heart and that your heart can be in his hands. And when it is, he will open your heart and flow his power through you in a way that readies you to clean the world, to bring refreshing and resourcing, equipping and joy in the midst of every kind of circumstance. But it requires the touch of the Lord. It is not something that you and I can do on our own. However, it also requires our willingness and our readiness. Will you turn to the person next to you and say, we need to be willing and ready. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It commemorates the birthday of the church. Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday, church of Jesus Christ in the world alive today. The spirit that descended upon the church on the day of Pentecost has never once stopped flowing. The flames that were lit over every head that day have never flickered out. The tongues that were unleashed that day in every language of humanity there gathered are tongues that have not been silenced because it is the voice of the Holy Spirit through his people, the people of God, the body of Christ. The Spirit is alive today. 
He is flowing today, just like that water line out there. He is filled to overflowing with the power of himself, the power of God. But if you and I, if we have a heart closed, if that gate is shut within us, if we are not willing and ready for him to work, it is unlikely that we will experience the power of Pentecost, the power of God flowing through us today. But if we are simply willing and ready, then it is impossible that we will not experience not only the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but the overflow of him in and through us. Do you know when the Lord enters into your heart and begins to flow through you, what that is that you feel? It's his joy. It's his strength. And that brings encouragement. Literally, it brings courage of God into us and out of us. Today, we begin a series in the book of Joshua, and in that book, the Lord will say again and again, as he says again and again throughout all his holy books, be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid. Why? Not because you can do everything. Not because you have the answer to everything. But because he can do anything and everything. And he has the answers for everything. And he is with us. He is with all those who are ready and willing to receive him. So if you are ready and willing today, I want to say today is not just Pentecost as a commemoration. Today is Pentecost as an actualization. That the Holy Spirit is ready to flow through us today if you and I will just open the gate. If we will be strong and of a good courage, if we will believe that every word that he has said, he is ready to fulfill, and if we will act upon that, if we will act like the things that God has said, he actually does, if we will act like we believe that, if we will take risks depending on God to fulfill his promise, if we will step out in faith, if we will trust even when we don't understand, if we will be ready to face giants and wage battles and claim territory, God will do it. He will fulfill his promise. You see, these available seats in our sanctuary, if you will believe that he will fill them with people who are ready and willing to hear from him, he will use you to be the ones to bring them in. Not only that, he will use you to be the ones that will equip them to send them out. Because our purpose is not to get people into these seats, but to get the word of God and the spirit of God and the work of God into the world around us. That's our commission. You see, we have been commissioned like officers in an army. And his promise is this, I will give you everything you need in order to fulfill your commission. All you need is me and I give you myself. But you must be ready and willing and unified. On the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together, all the early believers, just the few of them, really not much more in number than are gathered here today. But they were unified in God and they had received a promise. If you will wait 
for the infilling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit, he will come to you. The Father will send him and he will be your helper. He will help you to remember the word. He will give you the faith to believe it and he will encourage you to face every obstacle that you surely will face. Because the reason that God says don't be afraid and be courageous is not because we live in a world that isn't fearful and doesn't require courage, but exactly the opposite. Why is it that God says over and over again, don't be afraid? Because you and I over and over again are afraid. Why does he say have courage? Because over and over again, you and I, we face obstacles, challenges, and fearful things. But what the Lord says is, if I am for you, who can be against you? And therefore, be ready for him to act through you and be willing to let him act through you. They were all together in one place on the day of Pentecost, worshiping the Lord and the Holy Spirit fell. I believe that as you and I in unity, worship the Lord, wait upon the Lord, and willingly act upon what the Lord says to us. The courage and strength and power of God will be in us, and the works of God will be done by us for his glory and for meeting the needs of the people around us and shining light into the world that is dark. There is a promise of the Lord to this fellowship, the Lord has said to us, even this very morning, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. The Lord has said to us, even this very morning, as Pastor Nanette was leading and the Spirit was prompting her, so the Lord spoke through her to us and said, be strong and of a good courage, fear not, neither be dismayed. And the Lord has said to us, I have set myself to do a work in these people. And that work is one of fruitfulness and harvest and Pentecost power, Holy Spirit power, kingdom work. Now listen, it is God's word, not mine, not yours. And it is his work, not mine, not yours, but ours. Ours is the place to believe and to obey. And I can assure you of this, not one word that God speaks does he fail to accomplish. God will do what he has said he will do. But are we ready? Are we willing? I want to take a page out of my days as a preschool pastor and ask you to do something, and you might feel silly doing this. In fact, I almost hope you do feel silly doing it. If you feel a little silly doing it, know that there's an added blessing for you if you do it. Because if you do it feeling silly, the Lord will honor you all the more for it. It is, I think, all right that the Lord would ask us to do something that makes us feel silly. You know why you feel silly? You feel afraid of what people would think of you, but the Lord says, don't be afraid of what people think of you. Instead, be ready and willing to do what God asks. I want you to imagine that you have in your hand one of those handles like the faucet. Just those two-pronged kind of twist turns that opens a faucet up. And I want you to just put it into your heart right now. And with your hand, I want you to say these words and 
open the gate of your heart. There's something about physically doing this the Lord is going to use to supernaturally, spiritually open something in you to the courage that God wants to give you in Christ and to the wisdom and the power and the flow of the Holy Spirit. So now repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I am ready and I am willing to open my heart to you today. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit to fulfill the will of the Father. Now just turn that handle in your heart and let something open in you. Turn it open. And as you do so, anything crusted and decayed there, anything hardened, sharpened, anything calcified, the Lord right now by his spirit breaks that away and opens us deeply to the place of faith. Lord, we do believe that you do not reject anyone who comes to you trusting in your name and calling upon you for help. That's who we are today, Lord. People who trust in your name and call upon you for help. And if there's somebody listening to me right now and they're thinking, well, I haven't been that person before, I pray that they would recognize that right now they can become that person today. Someone who trusts in you and calls upon you for help and expects you to answer and is committed to acting on what you say, no matter the cost, no matter how crazy, so long as it is in agreement with your word and confirmed by your spirit and does blessing to and through your body, we will follow, Lord, that which we know to be of you. Give us the courage and the strength to do so today. Amen. Strong and courageous. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I am strong and courageous in Christ. It's true, you are. I've had a revelation in recent weeks that you don't need to feel like something is true in order for it to be true. It may be nice when you have that feeling, that may encourage you, and that's all well and good. But remember this, there are plenty of people in the world who feel like they're doing the right thing, and yet their lives are actually an offense against God. And they are running headlong towards the edge of a cliff. The fact that they feel good about what they're doing is no guarantee that it is good. In fact, if it is not of God, it can't be good. And if it is of God, it can't be anything other than good. But you and I don't always feel that. So we need to live in a place beyond our feelings, in a place that is based on faith. We need to live in a place that's beyond just intellectual acceptance as well. It's fine to say that you believe the word of God to be true. You know what? Even the demons of hell believe the word of God to be true. Does that account to them any righteousness? Does it make them a blessing in our world? So what good is it if you believe it to be true, but it does not inform how you act? If you and I simply believe it to be true, but do not act in faith and in obedience according to what God has said, then we are shutting ourselves off from the flow of encouragement and victory that God wants to give to us. As we study through the book of Joshua in coming weeks, and this will be an extended study, what we will see is there is a pattern in Joshua that is true for life in God in general. And that pattern is this. 
If you trust the Lord and obey him, there are blessings that come to you and through you. If you trust the Lord and you obey him, you're living in the covenant of God's promise. What God promises is, if you rely upon me, I will take care of you. Now, this does not mean everything happens the way you want, when you want. It does not mean you don't face challenges. In fact, God goes to great lengths to say that if you trust in him and follow him, not only will you continue to face challenges, but you will face more challenges. Jesus has said that if you follow him as a faithful disciple, people will actually hate you and oppose you and the forces of evil will act against you. But what Jesus has also said is don't be afraid and don't be worried about that because I'm with you. So greater is he, the spirit of God who is in you, than the demonic spirit of the world that comes against you. But if you continue to follow God faithfully and obediently, what you will see is over the long term, every good blessing of God will come your way. And any hardship that comes your way will come through the hand of God. It is God who will allow whatever happens in your life and he will use it. He will use all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, for those who are ready and willing to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So obedience brings blessing. Will you say that? Obedience brings blessing. You understand what I'm saying. It doesn't mean obedience brings everything you want. It means obedience brings what God wants, and that's blessing. But disobedience brings trouble. Disobedience brings hardship. Disobedience has ramifications. We are people of grace and hallelujah for the grace of God. But the grace of God does not erase the reality that there are repercussions for our actions. Now, if that begins to make you feel a little bit afraid, that's a good thing. That's called the fear of the Lord. You and I ought to have a healthy appreciation that we cannot just do whatever we want. We do have a commitment to follow God. Now, when we fail in that commitment, and we all do, raise your hand if you've failed in a commitment to God. There isn't a person in the room who shouldn't raise your hand. There's nobody here that hasn't failed in a commitment to God. If you think you haven't, you're wrong. Every single one of us have failed in our commitment to God at one point or another. The glorious grace of God is such that that does not invalidate his covenant. And that's what he's actually said from the beginning. What he said from the beginning is, this is my covenant with my people and I will never break it. Now then, when you break it, that's the way the Lord talks. He said, when you break it, and that doesn't mean that God is a pessimist, I suppose it means he's a realist. What it really means is he's God. He already knows where our weaknesses are. He already knows the hardships that we will face. And what he says is, when you falter, I will be ready to forgive if you will come back to me. Amen. Amen. Repentance is the ready release of all God's forgiveness already stored up for you and I. There is no sin that you can bring to God that he will not forgive. Amen when you bring it to him in the name of Jesus Christ. But now is the time to do that. This life that you and I are living now, which none of us knows how long it lasts, each day that we have is the day to live in that place 
of repentance and dependence. And when we do, we live in obedience and we are strong and courageous as the Joshua generation. PCF, we are our Joshua generation in this season. And for anyone watching online or hearing my voice who might not be a member of PCF, let me say you too are a part of the Joshua generation in as much as if you believe that Jesus Christ is salvation. By the way, that's what Joshua means. It means Jehovah or Yahweh, God, is salvation. And that's what Jesus means. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. Joshua or Yahashua is the Hebraic form of Jesus. They have the same name. If you are trusting in the Lord for salvation, then that is an unassailable hope. It is an unbreakable promise. And that is how you and I find the encouragement to enter into the promises of God. Therefore, that makes us part of the Joshua generation. It makes us part of the body of Jesus Christ. You hear what I'm saying? So let us talk about this Joshua, the Old Testament Joshua, the son of Nun. He was the attendant, the servant or minister to Moses from his youth. That's what Numbers 11 tells us, that from an early age, Moses had enlisted Joshua, the son of Nun, as his servant or his assistant. And Joshua rose up as a man to become a military leader. He was a general. He was one of Moses' generals. So not only was he an executive assistant to Moses as leader of the nation, but he was also a military general who achieved a victory over the Amalekites. In fact, the very first mention of Joshua in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 17, when we are told that he leads the army of Israel to that victory. He also attends to Moses throughout all of the critical moments of Moses' leadership over Israel in this season of the wilderness. He's at the foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus 24 when Moses receives the law, the word of God from God. An event which, by the way, is commemorated on the day of Pentecost. In, in Judaism, the day of, of Pentecost, this festival, which is a festival of weeks that is tied to the harvest cycle that begins with the spring Passover and goes all the way through the fall tabernacle feast, is also commemorative of the day in which the Lord gave the law to the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai, and Joshua was there. He was nearby the tent of meeting or the tabernacle when Moses met face to face with God in Exodus 33. And he was one of the 12 spies who was commissioned to spy out the land, to perform reconnaissance in Canaan, which is the promised land that God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, who had spoken to Moses and by extension to the people of Israel and said, I will give you that land that I've promised. There were only two of those 12, however, who actually said at that time, let us go in and take the land that God has promised us. They saw it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They saw that the, the fruits of the land were huge, but so were the people. The fruits of the land were huge, but so were the forces of opposition. There are giants in the land, they said. And we Israelites, we're not prepared to face them. They were afraid, all but Caleb and Joshua. All the other 12 were afraid. But Caleb and Joshua, they said, be strong and courageous in the Lord, and God will give us the land. But they were outvoted. They were outnumbered. And the majority ruled. 
And so they wandered in the wilderness as a nation for 40 years until all that generation died out. The Lord said, because you didn't trust me. You see, they were still his people and he didn't leave. He could have. The Lord could have left them. The Lord could have abandoned them. He didn't. He stayed with them. But he did say, that generation will not enter in. Even Moses. But Joshua and Caleb are the only two adults of Israel alive at that time who survive to enter into the promised land. Here in this room are people who have been a part of the work of the Lord in this place for a long time. And I want to say to you, being part of the Joshua generation says, I will believe that God will do what he has said he will do. And I will even enter into the struggle. I will enter into the fray. I will press forward into the promise because God has said and he will do. Hallelujah. We're a Joshua generation. As I mentioned, that makes us a Jesus people. Joshua and Jesus are the same name. Jesus is prefigured, he is symbolized in Joshua. Joshua is an Old Testament type, a real person whose life shows us what Jesus is like. I want to be like that, Joshua generation. I want to be someone who shows people what Jesus is like. Even though Joshua is not Jesus Christ, even though Joshua is not perfect, and it's not that Joshua never fails, still, Joshua becomes for us a way to see and know who Jesus Christ is. And that's what we are to be to the world around us as well. There are two major components to the book of Joshua. There is the conquest section, uh, which is the first 12 chapters. The entire book is 24 chapters. And then the second half is the apportionment of the lands. So they are promised this land of Cana. The first, uh, uh, the first half of the book is about going into the battles required to take that land from the wicked people living there that God has said, I have invalidated their claim to this land. I've given it to you. They have not honored me. You are my people. I will give their land to you because I promised it to you. The second half of the book is the functionality of that, of them actually going in and setting up their cities and apportioning the lands among the tribes. And in that, there is potentially a third category, which is the final two chapters of Joshua, which include Joshua's final address to the nation, similar to Moses' Deuteronomy address. You know, the book of Deuteronomy, which has a great resonance with the book of Joshua. It's the book that Joshua really flows out of and uh, uh, repeats in a number of ways. Moses makes his final statement to Israel, so also Joshua does in his book, and we are told that Joshua goes to the Lord. There are three major themes in the book of Joshua. Will you say these with me? Transition, transition. occupation, occupation. Obedience. obedience. The transition is from one generation to another. The generation of Moses, or what could be called the Mosaic generation, to the Joshua generation. Not only the transition of the leadership from Moses to Joshua, but also the transition of the nation itself. Occupation has to do with conquering the land and claiming that territory. It has to do with entering into the promise 
and being willing to face struggle and hardship on the basis of God's promise. And obedience is, of course, simply that, trusting in God. Trusting in God enough to actually do what he says and believing that he will be faithful to his promise. Now, there are also three major actions which we can see demonstrated by Joshua as an exceptional leader of the, uh, of the Lord. That is to say, one of those great leaders that the Lord has raised up. That by doing these things, Joshua is himself encouraged. I want to remind you something about encouragement when it is encouragement in the word and encouragement from the Lord. It's not just about feeling good. In fact, the encouragement of God doesn't always, as I've said, move the needle on our feelings. But the encouragement of the Lord is instead something better than just feeling. Although there are many times and many ways when God brings the feeling of encouragement to us and what a blessing that is. And I thank God that he does it. But even in those moments, it isn't primarily the feelings that God is concerned about affecting. Feelings follow something deeper and more profound, which is God is placing his confidence in us. God is placing his faith in us. Faith, hope, and love, those are eternal. That means they are of God. Anything that's eternal doesn't just have no end. It has no beginning. It has its only source in God. Faith is of God, and God puts his faith in us. That's encouragement. When you have the confidence of God alive in you, there is no one who can stand against you, and nothing that can break that confidence because it is of the Lord. So there are ways that Joshua is encouraged, that he gives himself courage in the Lord or gains courage for himself from the Lord. One is history. He remembers what God has done. And he learns these things from what God will show us in his word in Joshua chapter 1 in just a moment. So history. For just a moment, can I ask you, if you've got a place to write, whether it's in your phone, on a tablet, on a piece of paper, on your hand, write down something brief that reminds you of when God really moved for you, a time when God really helped you. Just quick, just a word or something. Paid a bill, healed a disease, solved a problem, opened a door, provided a promotion, ended a dispute, healed a, a heart. You can, if you can think of nothing else, you can think of this, when he saved your soul. The Lord God who did that has not forgotten that he did it and has not forgotten you. But you and I, sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we forget him. Sometimes we forget what he has done. He doesn't want us to, not because he's greedy for glory, but because he desires that we would be encouraged. So also Joshua remembers and focuses on the heritage that God has promised. There is not only the history of what God has already done, but there's also the promise that is coming. A heritage means from generation to generation, something sustains, builds, moves forward, progresses. So he keeps his eyes on the prize. Joshua keeps looking at the promise and reminding himself that God has called him. It is absolutely essential for you and I to know that as believers of Jesus Christ, we have a special commission in him. We are called and anointed to do particular things. God will show us through his word, through the body, 
by His Spirit what His promises are to us. We need to know them. Otherwise, we wander in a wilderness. We just chase our tail and find ourselves wearied and worried. But when we know the call, we understand we have a heritage of hope in God. And that hope will not disappoint because we depend upon God to do what he has said he will do, which is to be our helper. Not our helper for whatever we want, but our helper to achieve what he wants. He is our very present hope and help in time of trouble. So we think of God's past faithfulness. We think of God's present promise, and we depend upon God's perpetual presence. And in that, we find courage in the Lord. Now I want to quickly look at this brief chapter and break it down a bit into some practical ways in which strength and courage are available to us through the words of the Lord. Look at the words that the chapter begins with from God to Joshua. God says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. In other words, what he's saying is, you may have opponents, but they won't be able to stand. You'll knock them down. Amen. In other words, if anybody stands up and tries to keep you from the promise that I've given you, I will give you victory over them. Amen. Now, as believers today, we don't wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood. But what we do recognize is when the Lord has made a call upon us and given us a promise, he also will give us the victory to stand, right? As it says uh, in Ephesians 6, having done all to stand. And no one will be able to stand against what God has made us to stand for. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Extrapolate that out. Carry that forward. If God is saying to Joshua, like I was with Moses, so I'm with you, then in Jesus Christ, God is saying, as I was with Joshua, I'm with you, Joshua generation. So be strong and courageous. It's not a request and it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Amen. Do you know what? When God speaks, it creates. Amen. When God said, let there be light, there was light. So when God says, be strong and courageous, there is strength. And there is courage. Whether you feel it or not, God has said it. God's word is more powerful than what you and I feel. But it's important that we trust and obey on that basis. Then you will give this people possession of the land. So just be strong and courageous. See how it's sandwiched in there? Have the strength and the courage of God so that you can fulfill the mission. But you can't actually fulfill the mission on your own. All you have to do is just have the strength of God. God will fulfill the mission through you, but you can't fulfill the mission without him. The chapter ends with the people mirroring this back to Joshua. A discreet section of the troops say to him, we're with you, we believe you, and all you need to do is what God has told you to do. Just be strong and courageous, Joshua. But let me tell you as a leader, there is incredible power when the people say, we're with you. When the people say, we believe God has spoken. And when the people say, we are praying for you to have the courage and the strength of the Lord. So let us be Joshua generation people like that. Strength and courage comes from what God speaks. He said, every place on, the, on which the sole of your foot treads, I'll give it to you. Walking on God's holy ground. When you are walking in the pathway that God has called you to, then you will find strength and courage. If you walk your own pathway, you are not going to find the strength and courage of God because you would be walking outside 
of the promise of God. So if you want God's strength and courage, walk where he is called. And remember what he has said. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth. You hear that? Not just your ears, but your mouth. What do you suppose that means? It means not just reading the word, but saying it, speaking it. Now, there's two things about this. One is there's actual power in speaking the word out. And if you do it on a regular basis, you've probably experienced that. I'm not talking about some kind of silly or, or um, uh, you know, superstitious kind of magical formula. What I mean to say is when you read the word of God out loud, you are also hearing the word of God and you're declaring it to the world around you. I'm so glad that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading out loud when he was reading from the book of Isaiah so that Philip could say, do you understand what you're reading? You have no idea how God may use your out loud reading, but it is a very valuable, powerful thing to do. But there's something else about having the word constantly in your mouth, which is more euphemistic, it's more symbolic. But the idea is not just that you read the word, but that it is something that you're chewing on. It's something that you're eating. God refers to his word as bread. He makes a comparison between the giving of the law and the giving of manna. He refers to both as the bread of heaven, which also refers to Jesus Christ. So the living word of God is nourishment to us. In fact, we don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if it comes from the mouth of God and it's in your mouth, you know what that means? God's giving you a kiss. Amen. And that's encouraging. That's wonderful. Guys may not relate to that as much. You should. Let the Father give you a kiss on the mouth, my brother. Let him put his love into you and his strength into you and his encouragement into you and his word in you. If his word isn't in your mouth, it's not going to come out. And then how will people receive the faith of God? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So his word should be in our mouth and in our hearts and in our thoughts and in our lives. We should be living by his holy word all the time. And finally, strength and courage comes together in community when we receive the call, when we receive the charge of Christ, by sharing in the holy charge of God. By this, when I say charge, what I mean is the commission of God, the command of God, the mission of God. We are part of that together. We join together in that. The people said to Joshua, we will do everything you've told us to do. And we will go wherever you've told us to go. And you, Joshua, you just be strong and have a good courage. Now, what I realized at this point in the message is that the second half of this sermon is really a second sermon. <laughs> and I could continue on at this point, but I think that this is a good stopping place for us. Um, we have outlined the main points of Joshua chapter 1. With your permission, I'd like to do this. And without your permission, I'll do it anyway, but it won't be as fun. <laughs> we'll come back next week and we will look at Joshua chapter 1 again and we will continue with the, re the remainder. What we'll do in that time is we will look at each of these sections of the chapter, read through the passage, and talk about how it relates to practical places in the New Testament where Jesus himself is also, and the writers of the New Testament are also affirming these things. And we'll talk about life in community because that third section about sharing in the holy charge of Christ 
for us as New Testament believers is really about living in community together, having the courage and strength of God not only in our own convictions, but also corporately so that we can build one another up on our most holy faith, so that we can edify the body through the encouraging presence of God and his Holy Spirit within us, and so that we can sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. But for right now, I want to remind you of this. The book of, jo of Joshua essentially concludes with all of these promises being fulfilled. And the, the uh, musicians can come to the platform at this point. We're, we're nearly at a point of prayer. All of the promises that God made and all of the battles that Joshua and the children of Israel face, ultimately, God is victorious. There are places and ways in which the people fail to fully appreciate all the promise that God made. And we'll talk more about that next week. But one thing to bear in mind is this. They do enter into the land and they do become one nation under God. And even in the ways in which they fail to fully receive all of the blessings because of their own lack of faith, or because of their own insubordination or disunity with each other, those things God's grace comes to anyway. And God gives them the grace. But his story with them hasn't ended. There are still promises of God to Israel that are in the works. And there are still promises to you and me, to this house, to this city, to this world. You may think, well, God said something, but it hasn't come to pass. Let me tell you, friend, it ain't over yet. Amen. There is still more to come. Amen. Not one word of God will fail. Amen. Our understanding of his word might, our willingness to believe for it might, but he will not fail. Amen. And that is our hope, not in our own strength, but in him. He doesn't say to us, be strong on your own. He says, be strong in me, in the Lord and in the power of his might, in his word and by his spirit. So whatever the promise of the Lord is in your life for this season, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to believe and act like it. In fact, decide today, you're going to start living like the person you think you would be if Jesus Christ were right in front of you saying, I give you the power to be who I made you to be. Start living that way. Just start acting that way. Start thinking that way. Live in that conviction and the power of God will show up through you. Miracles will happen. You'll see a sick person and you'll think, you know what? Jesus gives me the power to heal them in his name. Not just to ask for their healing, but to declare it. Peter didn't say to the lame man at the gate, dear father, please heal this man's legs. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Do you hear the difference? Be that person because you are that person because he's that God. You go and you discern in the spirit and cast out demons. You don't ask God to do it. You do it in Jesus' name because God's doing it through you. You don't have to ask. He already said, I'm doing that. In fact, he keeps saying, go and do it. What are you waiting for? If you're waiting for him, he's ready today. 
and so are you. So be strong and have a good courage. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And even right now, he enters into you with new, fresh strength. Joshua generation, go and set the world on fire for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I want us to do this. Just lift your hands up to the Lord and call upon him for the infusion of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural promise that God will not fail to fulfill. If you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the past, that is all the more reason to depend upon the fullness of the Holy Spirit today. But if you have never experienced the supernatural overflow of the Holy Spirit at work in your body, in your being, and in your life, then you need to start asking God right now to give that to you. He wants to give that to you. You need to get yourself ready. You need to be willing to receive. You need to believe that you'll receive. And even now, just lift your hands to him and say, Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, use me to fulfill your will and purposes. Just have your conversation with him. Lift up your prayer to him. Someone out there, if you're listening and you're praying and you know what you need to pray is, Lord, take my life, take my heart. Never given myself to you. Then do that right now, friend. Doesn't matter where you are. You just tell him, I give my life to you. Lord Jesus Christ, take my life. Take away my sins. Fill me with your spirit. And you might be thinking, oh, I don't know. That seems like a big leap of faith. Exactly. Take that leap. Take that leap and find yourself in the hand of God. Find yourself in the land of promise, his promise. Find yourself in the heart of the Lord and find his spirit alive in you. I'm going to share a word with you in the spiritual language. This is something which Paul said he did more than anybody in the old church, which was the New Testament. We call it praying in tongues or praying in the spirit. And I want you to just meditate upon the Lord and ask him to give the interpretation. Si cuando lo hatim, pretis, shavon prochu no chanel achad mi de vefon premantum, un presi kuche me achad nachal achadiatari ofon pronto contum bache. The word of the Lord says, Are you afraid? My people, my people, I look upon you and I see fear. I smell the stench of death anywhere that gives place to fear. My people, my people, I have overcome death. I have overcome the death of the body, I have overcome the death of the soul. I have overcome all your enemies. Why then are you afraid? Because you do not look upon me. You look to yourself. You look to your strengths. You look to familiar ways. You look backwards like Lot's wife. You look backwards and freeze up 
solid like a pillar of salt. But I come today to liberate you. I remind you today that I am a God that you cannot control. And I remind you today that I am a God that does not forsake. I am with you and I will use you. You are not yet fully ready, but I am making you ready. And as I do so, you will rejoice because I am going to pour out something special. Now then, prepare yourself. Times of great hardship are forthcoming and a cloud threatens to overwhelm the world. But trust in me and you will be saved. I will use you and when people all around you, confused and frightened, do not know where to turn, I will turn them to you so that you can turn them to me. I am the Lord your God. Call upon me. Look to me and do not be afraid. Thank you, Lord, for this word which we receive from you. If this is a practice that seems to you alarming or disconcerting, it is only because it's not practiced enough in the church of Jesus Christ in this nation today, and it's not practiced enough here. And that's not me accusing you, that's me making a confession. We as a people of God are spirit-filled Pentecostal believers. Don't be afraid to embrace that reality. That's not about some kind of sectarian denominational divide. That is about recognizing this reality. Without the Spirit of God at work through us, there is no way that we can do the work of the Lord. Nor can we be the people of God and be fruitful in the way that he wants. So if you have concerns or qualms about praying in tongues and interpretation, come and talk to me and we will open the word together and the Lord will very graciously encourage you in the reality that this is an absolutely vital aspect of the life of Jesus Christ. And I also want to say this, when the Lord gives a word in tongues like that and with the interpretation, it is often a way of him getting our attention when other ways haven't worked. Not always, but I think in this moment, this word, it is the Lord saying, I want you to recognize something special is in the offing here. Something powerful and potent and important. Not easy. So be ready. But beautiful. So be encouraged. And of the Lord. So be strong. Hallelujah.